0: Like Ben said, we're in the in the midst of a series. this is the second week of March gladness where we're talking about uh, money, possessions and the kingdom of God how to how to how to use those things to further God's kingdom and even be uh, aware, uh, maybe a little introspective about what uh, what our heart does in, as it relates to money and possessions so uh, I want to start off. I want to, I'm just going to geek out just a little bit, okay? I want to give you. Um, I want to give you some stats. That's how I want to begin today. So, the purpose of Tallgrass at the Well is to create community together by inviting everyone into the way of Jesus. It just so happens the way of Jesus oftentimes runs right through our money and our possessions. To follow Jesus means to be constantly realigning our hearts towards Jesus. And to surrender, submit, uh, what we have, who we are, everything about us to Jesus. So it's interesting to me how Americans spend their money. So these stats are from a 2018 study. Um, So, you know, a few years old, but still, I think, really relevant to us. So this study from CNBC says that 13% of Americans uh, spend their money on personal passions or hobbies. So, like, if you, if you golf, though, I think that's upwards of, like, 20%, by the way. Um, but, you know, like, 13%. That's a good chunk of our money going towards passions or hobbies. 13% on clothing or personal care. That goes way up if you follow, like, a really great Instagram influencer and you've got to get, like, you, we went from skinny jeans to, like, oversized baggy jeans, so now you have to keep up with those trends. 15% on dating or, excuse me, dining or nightlife. So this is not fun things like just regular groceries. This is like DoorDash. So it's like over and above what we would spend on, on groceries, things like that, dining, nightlife, uh, going out, having fun. Um, so Americans average about $38,000 in personal debt. That, that doesn't include mortgage debt. Uh, $38,000 in st- things like credit card debt, student loans, things like that. Credit card debt is about 25%. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm correction here. Credit card debt specifically is about a quarter of this personal debt, about uh, $10,000 average among all Americans. Two in 10 Americans spend 50 to 100%. 20% of our population spend half to almost all of their money, their monthly income on repaying just debt. So in all, over 41% of Americans' income go to stuff, and much of the rest goes to paying off debt. So it's no wonder we feel stressed, uh, stretched and stressed when there's a need to cover, there's an unexpected emergency that comes up in our family, or when there's an opportunity to help someone else out. We feel stretched because we don't have enough to grow around even in our own household, or or so we, we feel. So when I look at these... When I look at these stats, I can't help but wonder, what are people looking for? Our money reveals our values. We learned that last week. Where your treasure is, Jesus said, there also will your heart be. What are people hoping they will find by spending money on the things that they do? It's got to be more than just having good food and fun experiences. What meaning to people is sitting behind, what do they value? What meaning is sitting behind the things that Americans spend their money on? So we said last week, you are what you worship. And if that's true, what we spend our money on reveals what we really do worship, what we love, what we delight in, what we desire. So let's look specifically at the church in North America. How Christians in the U.S. spend their money. This is from, uh, I think, last month's Christianity Today magazine. I just took a screenshot. It might be a little hard to see, but I'm going to read uh, uh, a good portion of this off. It says the tithing tenth. It says more than a quarter of American evangelicals do not give any money to church. About eleven percent of evangelicals, and it pauses there to define evangelical. Some, a lot of people think evangelical is a political voting block nowadays in the U.S., and, and it, it is by and large. What, what this study is actually meaning when it says the word evangelical is that those who believe that Jesus is uh, the, the way to salvation, uh, the, the, the Bible is God's word, and it's truthful, and it's authoritative, and there's a necessity to share our faith and be on mission with God. The, that's what qualifies as an evangelical for this, the purpose of this study. It says about 11% of evangelicals never attend a church, so perhaps it makes sense that they don't give to one either. But according to a survey done by Gray Matter Research and Infinity Concepts, another 15% attend church but never put money in the plate, or the, the box in our case. Uh, giving historically increases with income and age, but the study notes that millennials and Gen Z are much more likely to give directly to family, friends, or even strangers than to support institutions. Isn't that Interesting. So there's 26% from this pie chart that, that donate, that give 0%. 42% give less than 2%. So that's over 68%. That's quick math right there, folks. 68% of people, <laughs> is no, not really my strong suit, um, give 2% uh, or less, uh, 0 to 2%. Uh, 23% of, of American church-going evangelicals give 2 to 8%, and then 10% give more than 8%. So about 10% give 10% about. I, I can't help but wonder to think that those same questions that we ask about the general United States population applies to us as well as Jesus-following, Bible-believing, mission-centric, followers of Christ. What is it that we're looking for? What are we hoping our money will buy us? And so the longer I walk with Jesus and, and the longer that, that I'm a pastor, the more I see the twin dangers in, in our culture that's, that's infiltrated the church and the hearts of, of everyday church-going believers Uh, the twin dangers of individualism and materialism. And what I mean by that is that individualism is a mindset that says that everything in my world exists to serve me, and I'm the final arbiter of truth, goodness, and beauty, especially as it affects me, my wants, my desires. Mark Sayers, in his book, uh, Reappearing Church, says this, the average Westerner is a radical individualist who is deeply afraid of compromising their autonomy, he or she determines their self-worth and identity primarily horizontally via the media, culture, or peers. We are shaped by the passive-aggressive tone of consumerism, where we want maximum say with minimum responsibility. We are shaped primarily by our fluid and ever-shifting feelings. And what this means for us is that we want to spend money on ourselves, and we don't want anyone to, trying to tell us how to do it differently. And certainly this is difficult as we follow Jesus who is constantly trying to realign our behaviors so they align with his priorities and his values. You see how the collision of individualism and the way of Jesus brings sparks? I don't want anybody to tell me what to do with my stuff. And Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow me, this is what it looks like. Ouch, right? And so then materialism, the twin danger, is also a mindset that says what we experience in our body is all that matters. What I experience physically is the highest priority, and the focus is immediate gratification. From this, I also get my sense of purpose and meaning from from what I possess, attain, or experience." Craig Blomberg in his commentary on Matthew says, Many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as it is sometimes alleged, prevailing ideologies such as Marxism, Islam, the New Age movement, or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. Materialism threatens generosity because it says that if we don't enjoy this life right now to the fullest— We're going to be missing out and we won't be able to live our best life that we're meant to. And this is a problem for Christians who believe that there is an afterlife. There is greater meaning beyond the physical world that we experience. Yes, we have bodies. We are physical beings. But we are spiritual beings first. We are spirits with bodies. And so the greatest reality isn't necessarily about what is physical. It's what is spiritual as well. And so to live our best life to the fullest here physically means that we miss out on on everything that God has for us. So there is actually a secular movement. Aiming to push back against materialism and, to a degree, individualism. And so you've may, maybe even seen it. You've scrolled maybe through it, uh, their Twitter feed, but they're called The Minimalists. They had a great documentary on Netflix. It was fantastic. It was like this you know, modern, minimal like aesthetic, and it was just so cool. And so some of the, the, the maxisms, uh, maxims that, that, they, that you'll see on their like, Twitter feed is this. Do you like what you like, or did someone tell you to like it? Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Make a good li- making a good living is not the same as living well. The truth is you can skip the pursuit of happiness altogether and just be happy. I mean, isn't there a part of us that goes, yeah, man, like, yeah, <laughs> preach it, brother, right? That's like, that resonates so deeply. You know what resonates so deeply? Is because Christians have been doing this for over 2,000 years. They call it simplicity. We call it simplicity. It's following the way of Jesus and not taking on encumbering things that are going to take us away from devotion to Jesus and, and uh, accomplishing the mission of God. We call it simplicity. But the, the American dream, uh, can I poke at this for just a little bit? The American dream of, of like how much is enough? Well, just a little bit more just a little bit more in the bank account, just a little bit more stuff in the basement, a little bit more in the garage, a little bit nicer car. Like that is not Christian simplicity in the way of Jesus. And, and the, the, the minimalists are, are pushing back hardcore. Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo, Marie Kondo, um, is, is pushing back, like trying to spark joy with the things that we have and getting rid of all the extra stuff. They're just doing the thing that Jesus has preached and invited us to follow for 2,000 years. Isn't that interesting? So, in fact, to use our money wisely and be trained in the ways of the kingdom, uh, specifically in generosity, we want to take the words of Jesus seriously. Let's, let's not just settle for, uh, uh, you know, sparking joy or, or uh, the, the minimalist is, is good and as wonderful as they are. Let's actually get to the root of, like, what does Jesus say and what does he invite us into to use our money, our possessions, and our stuff to glorify him and accomplish his mission. So he says this, in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we actually see Jesus laying out his future plans to accomplish redemption. He's talking to his closest followers about what's about to happen to him. He's gonna give his life. He says this, But it's true. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have the mind, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You don't have the concerns of the kingdom of God set before you. You're worried about the here and the now. Your life and your comfort and your things are what you're thinking of. And we know this because there, Peter is actually just speaking the, the mind of the group. He's got the biggest, loudest mouth. And he always steps up to the plate to speak first. And he's always the first to stick his foot in his mouth. I so relate to Peter. And I'm thankful that, that a guy like him is in the Bible. And God still uses him. It gives me a lot of hope. right? But Jesus is saying, hey, when you set the stuff in front of you as priority in your life, and you try and get God to align with your agenda, that's satanic in origin, not God. That's not the spirit of God trying to align you with kingdom values. That's the enemy trying to pull you away from devotion to me. You see, they were, they were jockeying for position. We, a couple uh, weeks ago, I preached on James and John, sending their mom to go, hey, Jesus, can, can my sons have the position, special positions of privilege on your left and right hand when you enter your kingdom? See, they think this earthly kingdom, they're, they're trying to set themselves up to get a piece of the action. And so Peter is like, hey, Jesus, we got a good thing going. You know, that coin purse is getting a little bit heavier, every miracle that's done, Every village we enter into, people love you. Like, you you see the crowds of people. Like, if you do that fish and and bread thing a couple more places, like, you'll be elected king. We could overthrow Caesar. It'd be a really, really good thing. And Jesus is saying, No, you don't understand. I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to give my life to accomplish something much bigger than your comfort in this life, Peter. Okay, so he continues. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And check this out, right? You've heard this. If you grew up in church, you know this section. But I just want, I want us to ask the Holy Spirit, just make this fresh for us. Make this fresh for me right now. It says this, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What gain? What in other translations actually says profit. What would it profit a person To get everything that they want in the physical. Like everything that the American dream has promised you. What good will it be if you get all those things but your soul is disconnected from Jesus? Or What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? How much is your soul worth? At what price point can you be bought? At what point does your heart grow cold and far from God? Those are the things that we have to be aware of as we follow Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of the cross, where we surrender and submit. Not just a portion of our life, not just a portion of our time, not just a portion of our money, but the very entire thing of what we are and what we do. Why? Because he created it. He owns it all. He owns everything. The the psalmist says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You, you might say he owns the Ferraris and a thousand car dealerships, or he owns the ore in a million mountains, whatever it is, right? Like, God created it all, and he lets us borrow some to see what we'll do with it. To see if we will be responsive to the guidance of his spirit, to see if we'll be submissive to the way of Jesus as we use our money, our possessions, and our stuff. The Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels. Jesus is coming back. And then he will reward each person according to what we have done. We don't talk about eternal rewards enough. There is actually a motivation in the human heart, the way that God has designed it, to know that how we spend our time and our money and give our attention and energy to things, Jesus sees that and he will reward every yes that we give him. Every yes, every sacrifice, every time we say, I want this, but God wants this, and I want God more. He sees that. He looks at that. He remembers that, and we will be rewarded for that. So let's get just super practical, okay, and how this affects us and how we view and how we use our money uh, in our day-to-day. First, let's talk about tithing. Thank you. (laughs) Let's talk about tithing. What is tithing, okay? Um, Where does the idea come from? The first mention of tithing, tithing actually literally means tenth, is from Genesis 14, verse 18. I'm reading for the the NIV. Uh, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of the Most High, uh, God Most High, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by the God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praised God be... "'Praise be to God, most high, "'who delivered your enemies into your hand.'" And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So Abram existed before the law, before Moses. He was, he was born, and, and God told him to get out of your country and go to a land that I'm going to send you. So he goes out, and in those days, it's very like tribal warfare is kind of the main thing that they have to be worried about. Uh, it's kind of like the Oregon Trail, but like times a million, you know? And so they go out, uh, and he's just following God in faith, and there are these warring tribal kings that come after him, and he defeats them, and he takes all their stuff. Abram takes all their stuff. And then Melchizedek, and he's a, he, he's a prefiguring of Christ in the Old Testament. It says in Hebrews, he has no beginning or no end. like He's this priest of God before the law, before the priesthood exists, and he comes out, and he, he blesses Abram, and Abraham, uh, Abram blesses him back by giving him a tenth of the spoils that he won from war. That's the first First time that the, the tithe, the tenth, giving of the tenth is mentioned in the whole Bible. Okay? So I want to, so basically uh, to tithe means to give 10% of your income. Okay, we give in a way where ten percent goes to the spiritual community that's caring for you, aiding you, and apprenticing Jesus and joining together for common mission in our city. So this is the church in our case. To tithe means to give ten percent to your local church that you're a part of. To give an offering then means to anything that you give over ten percent. And an offering can go to the church, it can go to other nonprofits or individuals specifically. So to give an an offering, uh, uh, it's giving over and above. Starts at 10.000, whatever, 1%, right? Okay. So I want to mention two specific things when it comes to the tithe. The tithe did not cease with the law. You'll hear this many times. Now, the tithe in the Old Testament, when you actually dig into it, is way beyond 10%. It ends up being like 30-some percent. It's a, it's a lot because you're giving 10% of your grain, 10% of your wealth, 10% of your animals. And, and they do that to support the priesthood and to keep the temple running and the civic duties of the nation. So there's, there's a, a tenth for them, a tithe for the Old Testament people was much more like taxes and things on top of that. So we don't, we don't take your tax money here at the church. I don't know if you knew that. So we don't do that. So we, it, it, it has been Christian tradition to just cap it at 10% as a part of that tithe. Now, why I say that is because it's kind of a common teaching in some places that the tithe ceased with the law. We don't practice it because we're under grace in the New Testament. Well, the thing is, it didn't cease with the law because it didn't begin with the law. It began with Melchizedek. Sending an example of what a grateful person who follows God gives back to God. Okay? So it doesn't begin with God or it doesn't begin with the law, it doesn't end with the law. And we see it actually practiced and encouraged by Jesus. He says this in Matthew 23, and this is more of a correction, but in this correction, we see the principle still baked in. He says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You tithe a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. So, like, you count your little seeds out to make sure 10% goes back to the temple because you're such legalists in that sense of the word. You're so detail-oriented when it comes to those things. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But when you look at the people, your hearts don't break for them. You don't care. You just care about following, like checking boxes off. Here's what Jesus says. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So do both. Do both. Be diligent in what you give to God, but also practice justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Okay? That's Jesus. So number two, so one, the tithe did not cease with the law. Two, the practice of tithing helps train us for increased blessing. Here's what specifically what tithing means for us. So we begin now to be generous and wise with our money, not waiting for added increase later on. We begin where we are in the kingdom of God. We don't say, for instance, like, anybody been a broke college student? This guy. And it's, it's, I mean, I remember being in my twenties, like broke as a joke and going, Hey, when I get a better job, then I'll start giving back. I think that's a pretty common thing. It's a pretty common thing that actually follows us around. If we don't wrestle that mindset to the ground and make it submit to Jesus, you don't start 10 years down the road. You start now with a little, and that will get added to you. Actually, Jesus said that exact thing in Luke 16, verse 10. I'm just giving you a bunch of scripture today. I hope that's okay. I hope you like the Bible, and I hope you like Jesus, because I just want to quote Jesus to you all day long. This, you don't have to believe me. You just have to follow Jesus, and you'll, you'll get it worked out, okay? But here's what he says again. Whoever can be trusted with very little. Anybody ever had very little, especially as a college student? Yes, right? That's, I, think he's, I think he had college students in mind, actually. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? This, this, uh, Dave and I were talking, there's this, kind of this common, common lingo that, uh, that's used in churches, which I, I ascribe to. It's, it can come off a little condescending, but I think it's still true. Basically, that tithing is training wheels for us to learn how to be generous. It's training for us to to learn how to steward true riches. Jesus says, there's worldly wealth, and I want you to learn how to use that. And when you do a good job, more of the true riches, the eternal rewards, things like that will be added to you. But so many of us are focusing on eternal, like greater riches. I want the greater riches. And Jesus is saying, well, just get this straight in your life. Use what I've given you. Money, possessions, time, all the resources, all the blessings that he starts us off right now. He says, use that and glorify me and be faithful in the little things and more will be added to you. Now, it may not always, make my no own mistake, this isn't a name it and claim it gospel. Whereas like, I'm not gonna promise you if you give a certain dollar amount, God's gonna give you a certain dollar amount back. It doesn't work like that, okay? But it does start there with what's in our wallet, what's in our pocket, what's in our hand. And as we do that, we will experience increase and in blessings in, in many areas of our life, not just tied back to money, okay? If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of you, your own? So here's, here's an insanely practical way to think about this, Okay. Because I know a lot of us uh, may be hearing about money, and, and I don't know who gives what. That's part of our trustworthy process is, like, I don't want, I, there's, there's uh, Dave actually keeps, like, immaculate, immaculate books, and it frees the rest of ourselves up to not treat you as dollar signs or, or numbers or any of that, to actually love and serve you freely and no matter what you give. So I don't want there to be any judgment or any condemnation that enters into this conversation with this next part, but I find this is insanely practical, that you can start wherever you are with what you have and, and, and walk the pathway of, towards generosity, okay? So here's how I want us to think about this. If you haven't given anything to church, I want you to think of it like taking steps, okay? So you can you can start in a place where you maybe have never given anything to church. So your next step might be give something sometime. Okay? It, the step is just I'm just going to give. And we're going to celebrate that with you. Yes. You can actually come up to us and say, I gave for the first time. I will high-five and hug you. And I don't care if it's two bits or two mites, or a million dollars, because what I want it to see is a heart that says yes to Jesus. Start where you are with what you have. Maybe maybe you give something sometime. Maybe you give sporadically. And your next step then to move towards generosity would be choose a percentage and give regularly. There is a lot that is formed in us when we show up especially when we don't feel like it or we're not sure how it's gonna work out, but we trust Jesus with what we, he has led us to say and to give and we show up regularly and give that amount. There's something we mentioned last week. You, you are what you love and what we love is often formed by our habits, right? What we do on the regular is helping us to be the person we're becoming, and so just by saying, I want to give 2%, I want to give 5%, I want to give 10%, whatever it is, and doing that regularly, actually shapes our heart and aligns us more according to God's values. So that's your next step. Choose birth percentage and give it regularly. If you now give a percentage and it's lower than 10%, maybe your next, uh, percent, next step is giving a tithe to the local church. Maybe it's finally saying, I'm going to trust God with this 10% no matter what, and I'm going to give that regularly. And I, I want you to know, I understand, though, that there are times where you have to back off that, and God leads you to do that. You know, you get in a, single, a situation where you're a single mom now, and it's like you, you want to be faithful, but it's like your life changes, a tragedy happens. We get that. We are not legalists about this. This is a general principle of generosity and making more steps towards that. You understand? Like this isn't a, you're signing up to do this. We would hope, the ideal is that we're all signing up to do this until Jesus comes back, but we know life happens. And just know that we're here for each other in the midst of that, okay? So finally, if you give 10%, so the one thing I want to avoid is thinking once you hit 10%, then the rest of the 90 is yours to do with what you want. It doesn't work like that in God's kingdom. It's actually all his. He asks us to give 10% to our local faith community first, and then there's guidance that comes in with the rest of the 90%. The rest of the 90% is to eat with, it's to to, uh, bless others with, it's to, to buy gifts at Christmas for your kids. Yes, But that doesn't mean that you get to spend the rest of your money any way you choose because you check the box off. That lands us in that earlier position with the Pharisees of being diligent with this but not seeing the greater good that can come with God, with what God, not with what you have, but with what God allows you to have, okay? So for you, it might be moving towards giving generously and extravagantly, okay? So... With that, I know that when we talk about money, there's oftentimes, like some of you might even have this inner dialogue going on, talking at me in your brain about here's why this won't work for you or here's what your objections are. It's okay, I wasn't born a pastor. I used to sit in the congregation myself and wrestle with these same thoughts, these same objections, these same questions. Here's what I would say. You may be new to the faith and this may just be brand new to you. You you didn't know you you were asked to give money. So now now you are, and there's absolutely no shame in that. Start where you are. Another thing that might be a hesitation or an objection that you feel like, now I can't really do this or I'm not really sure, is that you may be deeply in debt right now, and you're actually not sure how to get out of debt, and you're not sure. You want to be generous. You want to give more. You're just, you just can't make the bills work where you are right now. Your next step, what, what may need to happen is that you actually ask for some financial advisement right now. It may be sitting down with a pastor. It may be getting a recommendation for someone to help you with your finances, consolidate debt, some of those sort of things. Again, no judgment, but if we're working towards Uh, 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 generosity financial freedom and getting out of debt certainly is a part of that and there's lots of compassion for you in your situation you may have been hurt by religion and you, you object to this whole money thing and i get that there's deep distrust towards people asking for money especially people that stand on stage and have microphones i understand you you may need to just start small with us and take one micro step one half step as we learn to build trust together. And that's okay, and there's grace for you, okay? You might be uber successful, and when you think in terms of ROI, you're not sure what the value is that this church gives back. You wanna know that you're, you're giving money, and that's a good investment in the place that you get it, and so your next step might be talking with Dave or any one of us pastors and looking at the budget, understanding the trustworthy process, seeing in fine detail where the money goes that we collect from here at the church. That's perfectly fine. And we invite anyone and everyone to do that. We, we are, I have just been so impressed with the level of transparency. I think both churches as we've merged bring that, but there are trustworthy processes that are in place, especially from Tallgrass's history. And it's all fair game for you to open up and look at and ask hard questions, okay? And finally, um, kind of connected that, you're just not sure how the church uses its money. And so you're a generous person. You just tend to give to GoFundMe, uh, go you buy Habitat for Humanity pie for pie day. Like you're giving money. And we, number one, I want you to know we celebrate that. We are not stingy. It is not, we're not gonna look at you sideways if you give money and it's not to our church. We actually, actually I heard recently, I listened to the Holy Post podcast and there was a church that uh, was doing, I think like a series like this, but what they did was they discovered that a lot of people in their church were giving to other nonprofits and other people directly and other causes. And so what they did was anonymously, they said, hey, how much do you give to these other organizations? And what, like, if you wanna share that with us, what specific organizations do you give to? And if I would have had more time Uh, I think this is a brilliant idea because what they did was they put the dollar amount that their church had given and then the names of the different organizations and they prayed for those organizations that the people in the church were being generous towards. There are a lot of us that do that and I love it. I love every penny that goes out to be generous and I celebrate that. And maybe a next step would be taking this invitation to relook at how to what we're inviting you into in this season of March Gladness, how we're intending to use this money to bless our city, to, to pay our pastors, because there is some, there's a lot of sacrifice among the pastoral and, and the staff when it comes to salary, okay? I need you to understand that. None of this is a get rich quick thing. None, none of your pastors are in this to get like, rich and famous. We're here to do the work of God in our midst and to, to ask you to join God's mission in our city as well. So it may be that you actually need to see again what those sacrifices specifically are and take up the challenge and invitation to partner with us to do the work of God in our city, specifically through our church. Because I believe, I believe two things. I believe that there are generous people that fill this church. Because God gives. God is a gracious, abundant, overwhelming God, God of goodness. And that God of generosity has put his spirit in every one of his followers. And so that seed of generosity exists in every one of us. There may be some blockages, there may be some resistance, but what I do know is God is wanting us to express that generosity more and more as he gives increase and blessing to us. I believe that about you. I really, really do. So this in no way is any kind of coercion, or any kind of spiritual manipulation. I just say that because I know who you are. I know your identity in Christ, and he gave all. Number two, I believe that God is wanting to bring our church into a renewed season of generosity, and he wants to invite every person into that. We won't all give the same amount, equal amounts. It may not all just be in in terms of money as well, but I know God is inviting us into, in this season of March gladness, renewed generosity. And I believe Malachi 3.10 is still true for us. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. The only time in Scripture God says, test me. Come on. A double dog dare you. Right? Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord God Almighty. So the second part of a story that I began to tell last week, if you weren't here, I I told a story of like, we we had a hard season at the well where um, tithes and offerings weren't coming in as regular, and it was December, and it was really tight for our family because our income, a large portion of it, came from the church. And so it was one of those, I don't know how Christmas is happening this year, and then someone from the church very generously dropped off a $1,000 check at our doorstep, and even in that time, we were really, like, we re-upped our commitment to tithe and be generous with just anything that came in. It was hard. But, like, when I got the check, it was like, Christmas is here, y'all. <laughs> uh, it was great. And what, I, uh, what I, I realized started happening is that, you know, that really, st- that, that really dried the cement of, of, of faithfulness. Like, my intent to be faithful, even in the little, even when there's lack, and I'm not sure how the bills are getting paid, and so I remember, um, I think the next week after getting that check dropped out our doorstep, I went to the mailbox. And, you know, we had been praying for miracles, uh, for financial miracles, things like that. And I opened up the mailbox, and there was a check. I, I, I want to get the details right, but I, I, it was a few years ago. and you know, it's daylight savings and all that stuff. So anyway, I think it was from the government where it was like, I had overpaid, we had overpaid and they sent us a check for like $160. And I opened it and I'm like, I can't wait to tithe on this and see what else God does. And it was one of those like, you ever have an alien thought? You know, it's like, who said that? (laughs) It was like, it didn't come from outside here. It was like, it came up from my spirit. Like, I am so excited to tithe and see what else God does and i'm like oh god that that's what you want like that's the adventure of giving and receiving is that sometimes we don't know where it's going to how it's going to come or where it's going to come from but it's an adventure of trusting god and giving and receiving and giving back and and so it was it was just a wonderful like it ended up being just a wonderful season and you know thankfully that's the that was the there was a bow at the end of that story and I know for some of us, there there isn't that bow quite yet. You're like in the midst of that right now. And so I tell that, you know, we love the stories that have the bow on the end. But what I want you to know is that there are people who have walked that same path. And so if you're in a season of lack, don't keep that to yourself. What we don't want for you is that you suffer in isolation. And for us to like tell all these stories of great financial blessing, but you that, like, there's a lot of bitterness or cynicism that can start to enter in in a season like that. And so you're welcome to share that with us. All, all the victories, all the setbacks, all those things, we welcome them in. Because we think when we bring them to Jesus and we sit them at the cross, like, he's telling a bigger story than any of us see in this moment right now. So, in light of that, in light of all that uh, that I've said, I want the worship team come on up. And why don't you stand with me? Here's, here's my encouragement and my next step um, Invitation to you. No matter where you're starting from, no matter what you've done over the last year, what you haven't done over the last year, take a step towards generosity. Just take that invitation from the Spirit and lean in and just see what God might do in this next season of March gladness and and then beyond. What I'd love to do for us, and if you're at home, just get in a place where you can uh, maybe connect with God and just receive from him. What I'd like to do is pray over us, but I also want to leave just, just a, a couple minutes and invite the Holy Spirit to come and 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 guide us personally. Like he has, I think, a word for us or maybe a direction or maybe just an affirmation to take that next step. And I would love to pray for us to, to receive that. So if you would bow your heads with me. So Father, we ask that you would send your spirit in a greater measure here this morning. I ask God that you, you would be near to us. So whether we're struggling in this moment with some skepticism, maybe some cynicism about, about money and how it's, we've seen it handled poorly in the past, I pray God that you would bring healing to that And that you would start to rebuild trust with us, or maybe we're sitting here and we're just we've been we've been collecting things, we've been collecting experiences, we've been collecting food experiences, or we've been collecting just money. And this is an invitation now, God, where you're inviting us to trust you to greater measure. So I pray for a realignment in all of our hearts to set you first before us. Because I do, I pray for that grand adventure of generosity. Help us to have eyes to see the the next person or the next mission or organization that you're asking us to be generous towards. And I pray in all these things, Holy Spirit, the the giver of good gifts. That you would give us courage and that you would silence the fear that we have around money and that you would fill us with joy and with gladness in the midst of all this. Holy Spirit, come and release generosity. Release, increase. Over this church, over the lives of all these people, God, Jesus, we love you, and we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit Tallgrass at the